0: Okay, so again, welcome everybody to the 5 October National Town Hall. Thanks for tuning in. So here's our agenda. We'll start off with an update from the national officers. Um, We'll go into then some committee updates. We've got the IT Steering Committee, Family Awareness, Communication Scheduling, Contract Compliance, Training Safety, and we'll finish off with Negotiating. Okay, first up with the national officer updates, uh, Captain Sitcher. Hey Chris, how you doing? Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, loud and clear. I uh, just want to say a few words to the membership. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in. This is uh I think a great way to get our message to the members. It also allows us to answer questions. Unfortunately, with thousands of guys on the call, the best way we can do it is take the uh the questions right off the bat that are uh, submitted to us. So Chris has done a pretty good job of putting those in a basket. Uh we asked uh, it'll allow us to move through more information quicker. Just thank everybody for uh, taking
0: the time to tune on. Thank you. All right. Uh, so one update, we're going to touch on this when we get into the Q&A. The Apple survey is going to be open. So if you haven't taken that, make sure you get over to take that. It's on the homepage of the uh, APA members page. Next one of these that we will plan on doing will be Wednesday, the 16th of November at 1600. And as always, if you got feedback on ways we can make this better, send it to townhall at alliedpilots.org. So with that, right into the questions, first one, uh, Ed, this is going to go to you. If we were under ALPA, wouldn't the BOD have immediate access to the Alaska TA analysis from the ALPA ENFA without the need to call for a special meeting to task or negotiate? Yeah,
1: that's, that's a good question. Look, um, our access to the Alaska TA came at the same time the ALPA carriers got the Alaska TA. There was no advantage or disadvantage to being an ALPA carrier. You know, it's it's more a function of who the negotiating team is and who the national officers are. Alaska's been super about cooperating with us. Will McQuillan over there has uh, has been nothing but uh, communicative with us. So, um, you know, that having been said, it's uh, you know we've been in lockstep with Delta and SWAPA also since the beginning. And uh, we, I recently had their negotiating teams come over and talk to our negotiating teams face-to-face. So it's not just an ALPA thing. Uh, SWAPA, as you know, is not an ALPA carrier. Uh, it's just a function of the MEC. United, on the other hand, hasn't been so forthcoming. We haven't been very communicative with them. I've talked to uh, Mike Hamilton a number of times, but we've never had their negotiating committee come down and exchange ideas with our negotiating committee. So, you know, I think that the question is kind of skewed. It's it's not necessarily uh, a function of being an Alpha carrier or not, it really is a function of who the members elected to be on that MEC or on that negotiating committee and, and how cooperative they are.
0: Thanks, So Next one's gonna be for Nick Silva. Uh, how much time will be spent on a contract comparison by our limited negotiating resources that ALPA has already done?
2: Okay, so, uh... Thanks for the question, Chris. So the contract comparison, we're working on it right now. It's it's essentially done. The 2020 comparison has not changed significantly to 2022. There's been some side agreements in LOAs that have affected it, but it's our goal to have it done uh, shortly.
0: Okay, Over. thanks, Nick. Uh, next one, back to you, Ed. During his campaign, Captain Sitcher said, if I want to find a pilot opposed to Alpha, I'll find a former alpha represented pilot. Mm-hmm. I'm a former Alpha pilot, and I say for myself and other former Alpha representative pilots, you could not be further from the truth. If Alpha is not valuable, why do you continue to ask Delta and United
1: Alpha leadership for help and advice? I love it, Chris. You can give me all the Alpha questions tonight, man. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. I did say that, and that's about exactly what I said. And what I was referring to is, you know, the uh, thousand and so TWA pilots we had on our seniority list that came over in 2001. And sued Alpa for a DFR, and as a matter of fact, I don't I don't know the exact amount. I was told twenty five million, but they ended up with a pretty hefty sum for Alpa's failure to represent them properly. Those were the pilots that I was referring to. Um, now, as far as asking for advice, I, I think that that's kind of a little misconstrued. Uh, it's it's a matter of communicating with these guys, and whether they're Alpa. AFL-CIO, Teamsters, SWAPA, you know, AFA. We even have coordinated with APFA, our own flight attendants, because at the end of the day, we're fighting the same animal. I mean, really, the company doesn't pull uh, things on us. They don't pull with them. It's the same management team. So I don't look to them for advice, but I do try to communicate what's going on at the table, where they're at in their negotiations, uh, whether or not their their management team is willing to give on one thing or another. And and they do the same thing for me. Whether we were ALPA, you know, or, or another carrier independent as APA, or maybe a member of a larger umbrella group, it doesn't matter. I would consider that communication to be critical. It's it's one of the, the big things that I do in my job. And, uh, and I think that's been pretty successful. Um, as far as seeking advice, I think that's a little uh, a little off kilter, but hey, you know what? I'll get advice wherever I can. If it's good advice, please <laughs> give it to me. All right, but it's it's not a matter of uh, being too proud to ask another union, and and I don't think uh, that the other presidents they've been spectacular, especially Delta's uh, Jason Ambrosi. He's been he's been really good, and so is Casey Murray over at SWAPA. I couldn't ask for more from other presidents. All right, I won't go on. Thanks, Ed. All right, next question, uh, and I'll take this one.
0: How will AP leadership disseminate the results of the Alpha survey to to the membership? So there's two parts to this. Um, There are closed-end questions within the APA survey, and then there's open-ended questions. The closed-ended questions, they can get the results pretty quickly, but the the open-ended questions um, where there's more input uh, provided, that, University of New Hampshire said it's going to take them a couple of weeks to get that together. So my expectation is once that's done, it's going to roughly coincide with going into the fall board meeting, uh, where I expect that that information will be briefed. There's no reason for it to not be briefed in open session. So you can either come on down to APA or you can listen in to the the recording at the end of the day. And then I would expect that those results will also be posted to the membership. Um, via the summary blast that goes out at the end of each day. Next, can we initiate merger discussions with ALPA now to at least maintain control of the process of moving to ALPA? Um, And I'll take this one. See, Ed, I'm taking ALPA questions. Um, So the short answer to this is not yet. The the board directed the survey to be conducted, and uh, the results of those survey uh, will presumably influence their decision to pursue R-2022-25. That's the open resolution that um, addresses an APA Alpha merger committee, not actually going after it, but a a committee to, to research it. So, And as I mentioned in the last question, that's all expected to happen at the fall board meeting. Next question. Some BOD members would not begin the discussion on the Alaska TA without full language sitting in front of them. Now that they have it, when does the conversation start? So actually today we just figured this out. Um, there was uh, discussion amongst the board on when this would happen. It was determined it, it hasn't officially been called yet. Uh, Cap Sitcher is still uh, putting that together, but expect that this is going to be Thursday and Friday of next week. Uh, next question, is the B- is the BOD still staying at different hotels? And if so, does this show a fractured representation? So the answer to the first part of that, are they staying at different hotels? Yes, but that's just a factor of personal preferences. There's two hotels that uh, the board stays at there's the DFW Marriott South and there's the um, uh, the Hilton Lakes, uh, the APA, I'm sorry, the uh, DFW Marriott South. It's closer to APA. It's closer to a bunch of restaurants and the Hilton Lakes. There's there's folks on the board who want to stay there because uh, they prefer the amenities. So it doesn't have anything to do with fractured representation. All right. Next question And uh, Kurt Detzer. This is going to go to you. Um, when is APA gonna implement electronic voting? If APA cannot get electronic voting done on its own, then why haven't we started merger discussions with ALPA to solve this critical problem? Does APA not want every possible vote to count? So I'll lead in for you, Kurt. Um, Boston Vice yeah. Chair, Kurt Netzer, along with uh, the Secretary Treasurer, Pat yeah. Clark, have been looking into this. So Kurt, go ahead.
3: Yeah, this really started uh, July of 19, and we've had a, n- a number of meetings and, uh, with uh, different vendors, of uh, ballot system, survey, and ballot systems, ballot point. We've had meetings with attorneys. We've had meetings with the DOL, uh, both the the, the uh, uh, director and the deputy director of the DOL concerning this. Uh, it had been put aside for a while based on COVID and uh, the, the and the current uh, uh, election complaint from national. Uh, We're going to keep the two of them separate. Um, You know, the the MLRDA only allows the DOL to pursue a remedy in the form of a a rerun. So history in 2002 and 2003,
0: we did do. Hey, Kurt, I know your connection was kind of choppy. We might be losing you. All right. I know Curtis was in a place that had kind of spotty yeah. connection. Oh, are you back.
3: Yeah. Chris, how much did I uh, can you hear me now?
0: Yeah, I got you now.
3: Yeah. Did I did I talk about the uh, the MLDA?
0: Uh You were talking about, I think the last couple words were a 2013 election.
3: 2000, uh, uh, three and four. there was a complaint filed there. Uh, we ended up stopping it and then 2013 tried again. APFA did it in 2017. Complaints were filed and you have to do a rerun. That's the only avenue by which the L- LMRDA allows uh, for to, to rectify it. Uh, we're still working on it. Uh, we have a number of meetings. I don't know if you heard that part of my discussion. You know, paper ballots, it's, it's uh, $20 to start and that is $4.60 per vote paper ballot we're all aware of the, the problems of ballots being left in the uh, post office not getting there in time not being put in a secret ballot envelope uh yeah. electronic voting is something most of us want it's just how do we get there and it is a process to do it properly so uh so so there you have it we're still all
0: right credit i think we uh we lost you again so just in case it it uh, lost out there. The, the key issue with the electronic voting is that there there has to be a mechanism to ensure the anonymity of, of the voter. And that was in the previous cases that were brought forth by the DOL. Um, the electronic mechanisms that we use were found to not be in compliance. We had to go back to paper voting. So we are actively researching it, as Kurt said, um, and, and we're going to continue down that
3: path. One add there, Chris, and that's yeah. the secrecy of the ballot. It has to be uh, first identified to a person, and then it has to be de-identified in the process of electronically going to different servers, then to APA, then to uh, separate it again. And the observability is also the big key. That How do you observe a, uh, a, a micron, electron shooting around the, uh, the country?
0: Okay, and uh, Jim Clark, did you want to jump in on that?
4: Uh, just briefly, I, I'll just add the the issues of uh, of anonymity and, and observability are the two issues that the the Department of Labor has had uh, heartburn with uh, in the past with regard to electronic balloting and and to date the the Department of Labor has not has not. Uh, upheld an election using electronic balloting. So the other entities that are using electronic balloting are doing it and, and not having objections filed about the use of, the, uh, of electronic balloting. But uh, there, is, there is not one case yet wh- where electronic balloting has been challenged on the grounds of, uh, you know, unable to maintain anonymity and observability and been sustained by the Department of Labor. So that's what we're trying to work through with with the vendors who who do this uh, to make sure that the systems that they have in place address the concerns that the Department of Labor has already articulated in all of the cases that they've essentially uh, issued reruns on electronic balloting elections, including APAs. So it's it is an ongoing discussion. There are a lot of vendors who who are trying to perfect it, and as Kurt said, we've we've spoken with the Department of Labor as to their specific concerns as well. Um, and it is something that we are we are trying to get there, but uh, it, it, it's not something that we want to do, knowing that it it may just wind up in a rerun because the Department of Labor is going to say you didn't do it right. All right,
0: thanks,
4: Jim. Next
0: question, since APA only employs mail-in balloting for elections, how many ballots arrived after the deadline for the recently completed Charlotte, LaGuardia, and Miami domicile elections? So we're not going to know that till Friday. Um, the uh, That's the time when the P.O. box will be checked and emptied uh, in accordance with our standard post-election procedures. Um, what I can say is a couple stats here. There was uh, of the duplicate va- ballots that were requested. In other words, uh, pilots who didn't have a ballot by a certain time. That was 12 in Charlotte, 9 in LaGuardia, 11 in Miami and then the spoiled ballots, which were the uh, individuals not putting the ballot into the secret envelope, which then needs to go into the regular envelope. That was five in Charlotte, five in LaGuardia, and six in Miami. All right, next question. How many members of the BOD were removed from flying last week in in order to attend the 40 minute meeting that didn't happen? What was the total cost of that PU to the membership? So there was five directors that uh, were removed with PU. There was four sequences and one reserve day. Total hours removed was 53 hours and 15 minutes, and the estimated cost is $13,678. Next, will BOD and negotiating committee members verbally agree to not accept management positions? So this is something you would have to ask them all individually. Um, I I can't imagine that anybody would say that they're going to accept management positions. What I will say is, for anybody who is not aware, last year a non-compete clause was added to the APA Constitution and bylaws. Um, that was from Resolution 2021-32. That was a resolution that I wrote, and it says that if you leave APA and you go to a management position within 12 months of leaving APA, you will lose your APA membership. Uh, all right, next question. Ed, this is going to be for you. Uh, are we not the longest negotiating pilot union currently? Why are we not leading the contract negotiations dissatisfaction with a strike vote?
1: Well, um, let's see. First, start off with our. are we not the longest Negotiating pilot union, no, absolutely not. You know, Delta and uh, and Alaska both went in in 2019. They've been in about the same amount of time as we have, uh, due to the fact that really nobody settled in COVID. Uh, everybody, well, I don't say everybody, but a lot of the carriers are all at the same point right now. Everybody's in negotiations. A few shorter than us, I think. I think Swap has been in about the same amount of time, also. So to say that we've been in longer. Um, isn't, isn't really accurate. Now, as far as the strike vote goes, um, you know, I, I don't know if, if we would take a strike vote just to fire for effect, but we can't strike right now, guys. It's, it's, it's not legal. You know, we're under the RLA and the NMB. We're not the NLRB. If we were the National Labor Relations Board under those guys, like the steel workers, the auto workers, uh, coal miners, then we just walk off the job when the contract expires. But we really can't do that in uh, in the airlines under the RLA. The whole law is there to protect the uninterrupted interstate commerce. And, and they mean it. You know, we tried it already. We tried it once, guys. We tried it in 98. Um, and, and we all stayed home for a day after the Reno guys were tacked on the bottom because we weren't given a heads up. We got into court and five minutes into that court proceeding, the judge said, uh-uh, minor dispute. He fined the living daylights out of us. The union wasn't joined. The president couldn't communicate with us. We were under huge restrictions. We had to mortgage the building. Uh, tens of millions of dollars we could have been spending on the members were spent paying, yeah, you bet, management, because they were you know, savvy enough to get a judge in a court in Texas to rule for them. So, I mean, we could have a strike vote. The fear would be that some of our pilots wouldn't understand that at this point, we still can't legally strike, you know, and there's a process that the RLA talks about. You go to NMB, after a certain amount of time they declare an impasse, you go through a PEB, there's a cooling off period, there's a whole process there. And when you've gone through that whole process, then you could actually strike. Now Delta did it, they were so upset that they did um, a, a strike vote just last week. But remember, they've been in the NMB process, all they have to do is go through the PEB and the cooling off period. So Uh, They're in a little different boat, but still, they can't strike. So uh, I I don't think that at this point, at least, it's certainly not prior to going to the NMB and having them declare an impasse, that a strike vote would really be that effective. It would get us some press, certainly, um, but I think it would serve to confuse our pilots and our passengers. Then what happens when we have a real strike vote? It would be uh, Chicken Little and the sky is falling. Anyway, that's where I'm at with that. Thanks, Chris.
0: All right, thanks, Ed. Next question. Uh this one's gonna go. I'll I'll, I'll kind of lead off with this and then I'm gonna hand it off to uh either Jonathan Benton or Harkin Meek. Please explain APA's reason for its current position on age 67 and the methodology APA used to determine that opposition to this uh to this proposal. Uh that opposition to this proposal represents the best interest of the majority of its members. So uh we've 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 covered this several times, but the decision to oppose the retirement age increase was made by the BOD in 2016. And that, that stance hasn't changed. So Jonathan or or Harvey, do you guys want to weigh in on on this?
5: Yeah, real quick. This is Jonathan Benton. Um, Yeah. There's a whole lot of reasons. I I normally just ask anybody that wants to have a discussion. I've, I've talked to 30 or 40 pilots to contact me because it's a little long for this venue, but I mean, you know, right now there are 100,000 professional pilots represented by four uh, unions uh, Teamsters, Alpa, APA, and SWAPA. All four are opposed to this. If Alpa come, if APA comes out in support of it, then it just means it's three against one or 85,000 against 15,000. The other thing is a lot, of the, a lot of the people that I speak with, uh, IKO just closed out their meeting. They did not, as, as far as I am aware, they did not change their age from 65 to 67. So no international flying, including Canada and Mexico. And a lot of people say, well, 11 countries allow it. That's true, but there's 193 in IKO, which means 182 uh, do not allow flying above age 65. Other than that, just look me up. Give me a call on my cell phone. I'll talk it out with you. All
0: right, thanks, Jonathan. Uh, next up, Ed, this is back to you. In his campaign material, Captain Sitcher stated, I truly believe that AA pilots can lead the industry in pay benefits and work rules given the Alaska Airlines TA and our latest negotiations update with things like six-hour airport standby, the company's ability to strip split trips to assign RO and lackluster pay percentage increase. Does Captain Sitcher still stand by his statement?
1: Okay. Uh, yes, I absolutely do stand by that statement. I truly believe we can lead the industry. However, we're not there yet. We got a long way to go. We are not at the end of the negotiations yet. Now, if we put this current proposals that we have in AIPs across the table, put it into a TA and send it to the members, then obviously we are not industry-leaning. But it's up to the members to communicate with their elected representatives, the board of directors, that that motivates, they task the negotiating committee to state that they want and they will stand by an industry-leading contract. I could go ahead and comment. I could go ahead and try to convince our, our pilots that and show them that they truly are worth it and they deserve it. But you know if the board is going to settle for something that's less than industry leading and put it to the members, then the members will truly get to weigh in and say, I don't want it. I want what, what Citra was stating. We've got a long way to go, guys. There's still a lot of time. I, I believe that American Airlines is going to post another record quarter and that's going to be shortly. Dyson's swimming in in money right now. There's there's a lot of problems right now with productivity. I I don't think there is a least productive airline out there than American Airlines. So obviously we've got to get our operational house in order. And the management team that we have right now thinks that all they're going to do is put everybody on reserve and it's going to solve the problems. That's not going to solve the problems. When they start making realistic trips up and those trips quit falling apart, and they start honoring seniority and they use incentives instead of force to schedule us, I think that we will be on par with our, with our peers. When this management team took over in 2013, we like most other airlines were running about 20% reserves. And there was plenty of stuff on open time to trade with right now. We're at 32% reserves. I mean, we've gone up 12%. Multiply 12% times 15,000 pilots and tell, tell me, how fat the headcount is here, and why we're not productive. These things gotta—they have to change. We can't just go ahead and request industry leading when our management team isn't leading at all. So hopefully there'll be some changes up there. We're going to try to show them the way. But at the end of the day, guys, we get what we deserve and we get what we're patiently waiting for. We just have to believe in ourselves. All right. Thanks, Ed. Next one is the APA
0: BOD going to waive the governing policy that requires the contract be in final language before being presented so n- nobody here can speak for the BOD that's a that's a decision that is collectively made as the body, um, I will say that uh, of everything that the board has currently, it, it is in contract language so uh, I, I don't see any reason why that would need to occur. Uh, all right, Ed. These last two are going to be for you and Jim Clark. If you want to tag team them. Why aren't we pursuing mediation instead of dealing with the negotiating games the company's
1: playing? We we certainly can, and we've certainly started um, an investigative process as to what it means to go to the NMB. But you also have to realize too that going to the NMB oh. is not a quick process. I I don't think I've ever heard. I, I mean, on all the research I've done, I've yet to be shown. a a union that has gone to the NMB and come out the back end in less than a year. All right. Now, uh, you know, there's a, there's a sizable number of the board that are always playing this, this uh, black Swan event that, that, you know, God, the longer we wait, the more we risk moving backwards instead of forwards. And there's an element of truth if you wait too long. However, um, by, by taking the first deal that's offered to you, I can almost guarantee you it's not the best deal that's offered to you. So it, it certainly is an option. Right now, we've actually looked into the NMB. There, there's one pilot uh, mediator left out of the 14. And and, and I, I don't know. I mean, we've had some experience. The Air guys, the East guys had experience with him before. We're, we're kind of going back and forth. But uh, if we do go into mediation, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made. And I can tell you this right now. Unless we're the first ones to go in and come out in a short amount of time, we've just put at least a one-year sentence on, on our new TA. Jim, I, I don't know. Jim, what have, what have you got, Jim? Are you on?
4: Yeah, I'm here. Uh, I mean, Ed, Ed touched on all the points. Obviously, that would be a decision for the board to make uh, if and when they uh, they decide that that's a better course towards getting getting a deal. Um, But the considerations and there are many that go into choosing that path uh, are things that are being discussed and and have to be weighed by the board, uh, because the one thing that's that's for sure is it extends the time. And and that's that's a major consideration as to, you know, whether or not that's the path we want to go at this time or whether we want to continue direct negotiations with the company. So it's certainly something that the board is considering and discussing, but it will ultimately be a board decision.
1: You know, and Jim, can I just kind of make some closing statements on that? Look, you know, a number of our our brother and sister unions are close to at least getting TAs. I'm I'm pretty sure Alaska is going to go ahead and approve this TA. United uh, opened up the contract. They're not that far away. And when these deals come out, then we've got a stake in the ground. We've got we've got a bar. There's a bar that's been set. And I hope that our members aren't going to sell themselves shorter than that bar. Maybe, I'm, I'm not saying for sure, but maybe once those deals come out, we could demand what those guys had and say, look, this is this is the level playing field right now, management. Robert, we're not going to settle for substandard scheduling and pay. Here you go. This is what's industry standard. He told us he would be fair with us. And we need to hold him to his word. He's not going to go ahead and 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 navigate through, I would consider to be a substandard business plan by, by having lower paid and overworked pilots. That's not a good business plan. And I think he realizes that if he did go to bankruptcy, the judge would take a look at it and say, you know what? You can't get much more blood out of this up We came out uh, further ahead of the bankruptcy in 2012 than we went in. We got better paying work rules, even though our work rules right now aren't that great. But they are bankruptcy work rules. Now, if the industry is dealing with standard set of work rules based on where Alaska will be, where Delta will be, where United might be, then I think we've got a whole different bar to compare ourselves with. All right. I said enough. Sorry, Chris. I'll let you go.
0: All right, next one. You kind of touched on this, but have our contract negotiations reached an impasse? If no, what's the next step and when? If yes, what's our
1: next uh, move and when? Ed, that's to you. All right, Chris. I just got a text from me to keep my answers quicker. I think I've pretty much reached that. We're not at an impasse yet. I'll keep this shorter, sir. I'm not at a, We're not at an impasse yet. The bod made it determine that we are at an impasse, and and there's a lot of things that are going on. It's a very rapidly moving environment. Enough said. If it is at an impasse, I think our only option at that point is to go into uh, mediation. All right. Thanks, Ed. Up next, uh, IT Steering Committee, Philip Johnson. Phil,
0: go for it.
6: Hey, guys. Good afternoon. Thanks, Chris. Um, Let's see. uh, Yeah, I just got an update just a few moments ago. As of 345, we have 7,285 responses, so a slight uptick. And that represents just over 50%, 50.3% of the membership has participated in the Alpha survey. Um, Chris, do you want me to touch on a couple of questions we discussed? Is that on the next slide? I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, there you go. So I'll I'll, I'll read it and have you answer, Phil. Does AP have the sure. ability to quantify how many pilots attempted to log in to complete the ALPA survey? Or is it incumbent on the affected pilot to notify APA that they were unable to log in? Will this be taken into account when the BOD assesses the participation level and interest in the APA Alpha merger issue? So I'll take the second part of that, Phil, if you want to talk about what you've been doing.
6: Sure. So it is incumbent upon the member to let us know if they've had issues logging in. Just due to the hybrid solution between the vendor and APA, we don't have a mechanism to identify if a pilot's having issues or not. Um, of that, to date, we've received about 270 help desk tickets. We've Triage and solved all those tickets and made first person contact to ensure that those individuals were able to access the surveys. We did have one individual that we couldn't uh, make for first person contact with and we actually called the vendor and made sure that they had a survey on file which they did so um, I think as of today we had about four tickets in the queue from this morning. Aside from the numbers of tickets, just to let the uh, folks know if folks are having issues, the the biggest solution is going to be to clear the browser cache. Um, We did have some copy and paste errors um, early on in the um, survey. We were able to correct a lot of those with some code between the vendor and ourselves. And then the other one was a timeout cookie management that was browser related. That still um, seems to still be an issue for a very small number of the pilots, but the, the workaround is just to clear the cash. And the help desk team would would love to help walk you through that process if anybody needs some help. Um, I think that's uh, all I got, Chris, on that.
0: Perfect. Thanks, Philip. And and again, so to the second part of the question, is that going to be taken into account? There there really is no way to take into account somebody who didn't report a problem with it. So as Philip said, there's about 270 so of the uh, Seven thousand two hundred eighty-five that have uh, that have been submitted. So the key is, if you have not been able to get in, contact the help desk, and when they reach out to you, respond to them, and they'll they'll walk you through it. Uh, all right, thanks, Philip. Yep. Next up, Family Awareness. Jerry Gemma is going to talk to us about the efforts that uh, he did down there in Miami with Hurricane Ian. Jerry, go for it.
7: Great. Can uh, Can you hear me? I just changed over to video.
0: Yeah, loud and clear.
7: Okay, great. Um, well. I'm just absolutely amazed by uh, how wonderful the, uh, the the membership stepped up. So many people uh, stepped up. Uh, just a quick overview, uh, and I need uh, was identified. Chris, you talked about it. I know Tim Dick, uh, who's the chair of Family Awareness, he mentioned it, so I took it and ran. Um, we sent out, APA sent out a blast uh, via email. We also sent out a blast via text, realizing that Text messages were going to reach the people that were out of power, out of internet. Uh, I did a bunch of social media posts, sending those out to people to uh, try to reach out and start a network. People uh, got back in touch with me via email, via text messages, my name and phone number were put out there. I started a list of people with me and then uh, a list of people who were willing to offer. Um, over 20 or probably 25 or 30 people offered places to stay and there was a number of people that offered um, physical help, boots on the ground type stuff nobody really requested places to stay uh, I think insurance took care of it friends took care of it and, and we had a number of people that need had some immediate needs we got back to them uh, we got boots on the ground over there a guy needed a ride in a boat one of our members stepped up and Gave him a boat ride over to Sanibel so he could go and get his personal effects out of his house, Sanibel, the island, uh, the bridge was washed out. So, um, we were able to take care of a lot of stuff. Two members came out, uh, JD Dubovsky and Ann Richard, they loaded up their vehicle to their personal money, ran it over They ran gas, ran fans, boxes, just some basic stuff that was identified that was really great to them. Um, and I put out a social media post listing a bunch of names. There's so many more people that really stepped up. Um, a quick update: Last, uh, I talked to a guy on the ground over there last night. Um, They're starting to get power back. We were going to run gas over. They said, "Don't do it." There was within 30 minutes of the um, within 30 minutes of all the people that were in uh, affected. There was power. There was gas, food, grocery stores. Everything was pretty much all back up and running. Um, the big need that they're we're finding is what everybody's talking about. What they really need is time. They're getting time off, but they're about to start getting unpaid time off. They're getting um, uh, PVDs, PUs. They're running out. Of, they're going to run out of vacation. Run out of sick time. So I know we got the Emergency Relief and Scholarship Fund. We're looking to try to get that geared up, see if we can get people to donate to that. And we can identify those that are running out of sick time, running out of vacation time, get some money to them. Also, I know Tom Copeland and Ed Sitcher uh, were at the Family Awareness event down here in uh, Pompano on Monday night. And uh, there was talk about whether we can donate vacation days, of uh, individual vacation days to um, start a pool to, Give it to the people that are in need as well also with that uh at the Miami family awareness uh people passed the hat. people offered up some cash we were going to take him buy gas and drive that over to him in retrospect after talking to him uh to the boots on the ground the guys over there said they didn't need it we distributed that money back to ann and um, jd both of those uh i think they were five six hundred bucks a piece if i i think jd may have been more than that but um, they were they were big dollars out of pocket, so we distributed that cash to them, for a couple hundred bucks. But the <laughs> guys stepped up like crazy. It was really amazing. It was um, really heartwarming and uh, build a definitely unity building.
0: Excellent, thanks, Jerry, and uh, thanks for for everything you did to help the pilots out. And real quick for everybody out there, Jerry touched on the emergency relief and scholarship fund. So if you're not aware, you're not contributing to this already. Please consider doing so. You can find that on the APA homepage. Uh, it's in the quick links right there at the bottom of the left side column. That's going to take you to this page. And then just up at the top there, <clears throat> there is an area where you could donate. And then if, you know, if you have something catastrophic like this happen, you can also request uh, relief. And there's a, it, there is a scholarship aspect to that as well. So please consider uh, contributing to the E, R, and S fund. Okay, next. One last uh, quick. Yep, Jerry, go ahead. Can I say one more thing?
7: Sure. Yeah. One last thing, uh, we're going to work on um, on building a system for the future. So if there's another hurricane, tornado, flood, something like that, we're going to work on reaching out and trying to have a system already in place and built up. And uh, Chris, is there, a, is there a method that we can figure out how to donate vacation days? I know we have that mechanism for individual people,
0: but is that something we can do? So the mechanism. The short answer is no, not through APA. That's, that's the WINGS program, and that goes through the flight office. Okay. All right. All right, next up, Communications Committee, uh, Dennis Taser.
8: Uh, Hi, thanks for uh, having uh, us a direct line to speak to the membership. So updating com, uh, a tremendous amount of interest continues from the uh, external side the media. Um, The uncertainty of the fall winter schedule is already even in September. They were talking about uh, getting our input on that. Of course, we amplified that um, up until management. Uh, makes a move to actually uh, repair the fundamentals of our operation through our contract, then we see nothing but uncertainty for the fall and winter holidays. And, and that's what uh, uh, viewers that the media is writing for are interested in hearing about. Um, the training backlog, all the things that we talk about internally and his message, our message to uh, the pilots, um, I, along with the team, and that's a, a PR team that we have. Uh, as well, outside council for several years on that. And uh, Greg Overman, Director of Communications, Captain John Owens as a deputy chair. Uh, We gather all that and we process it through and go through government affairs. We just launched on a piece today on a uh, 737 MAX uh, item. Uh, So uh, quick turns on that. Lots going on, uh, but the main uh, thing is to highlight the fact that management will not get to a place that it needs to be uh, to live up to its uh, responsibility to investors, uh, shareholders, um, if it continues to uh, fail to work with APA. Nearly 2 million passengers were impacted by cancellations this summer. That's from June to August, uh, some 18,000 flights, and all the family members that are connected to that. That unsettles management when we highlight that, and the fact that Robert Ison said in uh, April that we're ready for summer. We have sized the airline for the resources that, that we have, And just in September at a conference, he said uh, we've sized the airline for the resources that we have. It's the same shtick and the same results. Why would we expect less up and until they actually settle with us? Um, So we're hitting all that and we're getting great interest. We're not just yelling from the rooftops. They're giving us a microphone and uh, press and record. Um, Another item that it's more internal, but we're trying to get it out there. The most recent proposal by management to uh, cap us. Have a, a snap up with a cap of 2.5%. In June, Iris sent out a, a message to pilots saying, You're not going to get paid less than other pilots. And I assume he's talking pay rates. We look at total comp. And then he turns around and lays down a ceiling on that. So uh, all of the uh, um, divergent uh, uh, statements by them, we try to highlight in the media and, of course, uh, to our pilots. Um, I also uh, work uh, with a group in the investor relations side. There's some uh, over $8 billion of market cap. Uh, 55% of that is controlled by institutional investors. And, of course, the uh, sell side uh, analysts, folks like Jamie Baker and uh, um, uh, Dan McKenzie, and I could go on. But those folks we've had more than a decade of direct contact with. They look to us. Uh, Sometimes uh, we don't always have agreement, but we always provide the facts that are there. And uh, the feedback from some analysts lately has been they're looking for the leader who is actually going to put the uncertainty out by just settling a contract with pilots. Um, and sometimes they say they're, they're when they look across and they get their information on what other groups are asking, uh, they're surprised that on the mainline side, it, it, it isn't a little bit more. Um, that's just their opinion. I relay. I've had one analyst that didn't have much of an opinion on it. Um, bottom line is everyone's watching, and they're watching because there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty. And what uh, Mr. Isom does, working with labor relations to get a deal done with us, they're interested in because they see that as, as one of the catalysts for whether or not American Airlines remains as the uh, revenue underperformer um, and the uh, product called to question. And one thing I want to point out, you're going to probably hear, and this is a few weeks ago, was back up in the Charlotte National Town Hall. I just had an interview with uh, a major uh, network, a uh, major media outlet, and they had a uh, management had deployed somebody from labor relations or a liaison to start spinning the fact that, oh, this would cost so much. And if we, pa- if we paid our pilots what they're, uh, what they're asking for, then we'd be losing money. It is the same shtick they use every contract negotiation. And we continually push the investors, analysts, and the media to note that where American is underperforming is in its revenue potential. And they will not be able to capitalize on that until and unless they're able to uh, properly utilize uh, utilize us, not recklessly utilize us, as the president has said. So that message is resonating, not only externally in the media, but we do get interest uh, on the uh, investor relations side as well. Chris, I told you I'd buy a couple of minutes. I, I guess I failed. So um, that's all I have.
0: You're forgiven, Dennis. Thanks. Uh, but a good segue. So Dennis, you talked about... Uh... Passenger disruption. So next up, we've got uh, Stop and Gemma Meehan, who's going to talk about a a couple of efforts that we have, the first one with our
9: passenger cards. Gemma, you're up. Okay. Can you hear me, Chris? Loud and clear. Okay. It's not fair to put me after Dennis. It's not fair for (laughs) anybody to have to go after Dennis. But uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody for being here tonight. Um, As Chris said, uh, the Stop Committee, as we've wrapped up all the picketing and the Pilot Unity building events this summer... We're moving on to a couple in two different, or a couple of different campaigns. One is passenger-facing or passenger-focused, with pilots helping passengers. So, if you see that card that's up there, it's going to be the size of a business card, and if you scan that QR code, it will bring you to uh, APA uh, public site, and it will help the passengers if they're in a long line after an IROPS event. So when we get off the plane and we see the line being you know, 20 gates long and we want to help the passengers, well, we can start passing out these cards and that QR code will bring the passengers to a place to show them what American Airlines owes them if they were canceled or they need to rebook their flight. So it's us helping the passengers when American Airlines has failed them. So on that note of this card, if anybody wants these cards to pass out, they can email me their um, name and their mailing address to the email that's on the slide. And we will send out these cards to everybody so you can be actively involved in helping the passengers. Um, The next thing we're actively doing is going to uh, potential new hire conferences. So STOP is attending and we are gonna be educating these potential new hires on what our contract is or where it is, educate them on how it's lacking versus other airlines. Um, We wanna be honest with these potential new hires. They have their choice, as many of us didn't have their choice of where they wanna go. And when we see these new hires a year from now, we want them to look us in the eye and know that we were telling them the truth about our contract right now. So we're going to these um, conferences to educate the potential new hires, And along with that, we are gonna be posting the same information that I'm working with Nick Silva on, comparing these contracts from the different airlines on websites such as Airline Pilot Central, where pilots go who are looking for a job, they'll click the APA banner and it will bring them to the site which shows the contract comparison. So that's what STOP's doing right now. Anybody have any questions on that? And again, if you want any of these cards, um business cards email me and we'll get them to you make sure you give me your name and email or name and mailing address that's all stuff has
0: thanks Gemma. and uh yeah for anybody watching i got like let it go like 20 boxes of these things so um uh great great uh uh great ideas there Gemma. all right next up is scheduling committee drew coleman
10: Uh, good evening, Drew Coleman from Scheduling. Uh, obviously, Scheduling is always a good thing to talk about. Uh, vacancy bids out there, we're expected to get the information for the preliminary on October the 11th. Uh, it could be that day, it could be a couple of days after that, but right around that area, so sometime next week. And then uh, approximately just a week or so later, they'll have the final out there. Um, they are going to be releasing a new... Um, bidding tool to, to use instead of sending an email with your requests to do um, uh, the training. I'm sorry. So the, the, the training bid, it'll be a new form. You'll fill out. So when your vacancy comes out and you get an award and you're trying to request avoid void or start before or finish after or, or whatever, they'll have that out there. So, but that'll be out there in the release as well. So will be looking for that. And then another change we have is in the reserve bidding for pilots that fall into LN while they're bidding reserve. In the past, the PBS software has gone in and has just basically erased everything that you've asked for and just gives you a line of some sort of, some sort of reserve. So we've gone in, we, we had a grievance on this and now this is the result of some of the programming that came out of it. And to help pilots that are going into LN, so they, for whatever reason, they can't get a working PBS uh, reserve solution. This will allow them to go in there and it tries to help keep some of what you've requested so that it doesn't let the system just give you whatever. So what it does is it goes in and converts all the must-offs to prefer-offs. It removes all the uh, prefer fly-through date requests, removes your work block size requests, Um, but then in doing so, that's allowing the system to create you a schedule with still trying to honor as many of your preferred off and lets it build something because you may be requested too many days or not enough days on the fly through or your work block size might be just a little bit too far off to get you something. But at least this way it's removing some of those restrictions to open it up enough to so they can try to get you the days off that you're requesting. The other part is a single reserve line, uh, line. So if you request it just short call or just long call, it'll go in there and it'll put the bid in to give you short and then long that way Maybe you can't get short call with these days off, but maybe you can get long call with these days off or vice versa. And um, it will auto apply the single reserve days for prorated. So if you're prorated, um, it's a calculation. It's a table that you have to look at. And if you don't plan accordingly, you may end up where it has to give you a single day off in or somewhere in order to make a biddable solution. Um, software will award coverage days. So the coverage days, happens sometimes where they get so long that you can't cover all of them so what this is going to do is it allows the system to go in and say hey i'm going to make you a line, and you're going to work as many of those days as you possibly can but it's not going to force you into every one of them it's going to try to honor your days off because if you if you've got a day off on saturday that you're requesting and you've got a coverage day on monday to cover and you you're just swapping day but you're still covering the same number of coverage days because you got to have a day off And so that's what that's saying on that last line. Any questions?
0: All right. Thanks, Drew. All right. Next up, contract compliance, Jason Saxer.
11: Thanks, Chris. Uh, This is uh, Jason Saxer, contract compliance. Um, We have a uh, question there that uh, I'll read, and then uh, you can use the polling function to answer the question. And we'll talk a little bit in the background why everyone's... uh, answering the question. So if I'm a line holder and I'm on the sick list, when can my future trips be removed from my schedule? The answer is uh, immediately with the call to crew scheduling beginning the day, uh, beginning of DOTC the day prior to the trip at 0800 the day prior to sequence origination or D 10 hours prior to signing in accordance with FAR 117. So if anybody, everybody wants to answer that question, we'll show the, uh, the poll results and the correct answer in just a couple uh, minutes here
0: Hey Jason I, I can't get the poll to come up so just keep just keep going and we'll, we'll go through it and everybody can pretend like they submitted their answer
11: <laughs> All right sounds good um, <clears throat> just a couple of our hot topics right now um, the reserve pilots uh, if everyone isn't aware uh, you should be reserve pilots are limited to 85 hours a month of proj credit. Uh, We've had a rash over the summer of uh, non-contractual assignments and why I'd like to blame it all on the company um, because they know that. Um, It is also incumbent upon the the membership to know their own work rules, especially an easy one like that. So if you're on reserve, make sure you're watching um, the the assignments in in your contractual limit. The uh, deadhead clarification, if you've uh, had one of these trailing deadheads that's outside the table B limits, You may have received uh, not only an APA mobile app alert, but also a text message uh, from contract compliance. So make sure you're uh, not only paying attention to your sequences, again, knowing your work rules and the side letters and LOAs, but also uh, make sure that you're looking at your APA mobile app. These are sent as high priority notifications. Uh, At the beginning and at the end of the sequence, and if you don't open the APA mobile app for a couple days after you finish your trip, you may not see it. And this goes for not just only the the deadhead clarification uh, messages, but really all the the notifications. The APA uh, mobile app has has notifications for all kinds of things, Um, so make sure you're paying attention to those. They're there to help you. If you don't have them turned on, uh, think about turning them on. The last uh, hot topic is reserve out of order um, assignments. There's always a rash of new schedulers and trackers uh, over at IOC, and they make mistakes, believe it or not. Um, So make sure you're kind of pre flighting those reserve assignments. If you get something that's out of order, you think that somebody should be flying the trip instead of you, uh, collect as much information as you can and and reach out to us with a contract compliance report. Uh, the The answer to that question. Uh, okay. Sorry, um, I, I, I kind of did it too quick.
0: You want to hit on the sorry. training courses?
11: That mean I'm going too slow. <laughs> uh, the, uh, the October contract training, we did one yesterday, a four hour course. That was cool. Got some pilots, uh, up to speed. Our next one is an eight hour course next Tuesday, starting at 9. AM. We also have another eight hour on October 26th at 9. AM. Some pilots are scared of the eight hours. It's a lot to ask, uh, to carve out of your schedule, don't uh, be afraid of that. You can, you can trim it down to four hours. You can do an a.m. and a p.m. At, at your leisure or however you want to go about it. Um, but we, we really encourage everybody to sign up for those.
12: Uh,
11: the answer to that question, if you don't know, is uh, C, 8 a.m. the day prior to sequence origination. That is the only contractual time when you can be removed from a sequence if you're on the sick list, um, 8 a.m. the day prior. Even if you know you're going to be out for three weeks, you want to do a salad to your your buddies and uh, get that sequence removed, that's not contractual. So please don't do that.
0: All right. Thanks, Jason. Moving on. Training committee. Bob Stapleton, you are up. Bob, make sure you unmute. Oops, sorry. You got me? Yep, we got loud
13: and clear. Hey, thanks, Chris. And uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, Bob Stapleton, uh, APA Training Committee volunteer. Anne-Marie would normally be doing this meeting. Unfortunately, uh, she sends her apologies. She's on an airplane on her way from Scotland right now. She wasn't able to be here. Somehow it got all the way down to me. I'm going to do my best to try to make it through these points uh, that she wanted me to relay to the pilot group. The first one was uh, flight keys being delayed. Flight keys is the new flight planning optimization tool that American Airlines is implementing. Uh, The reason it got delayed is because uh, dispatch has requested additional training It's a huge change for them. It's a significant change for us, uh, the pilots. I don't know what their training was like, but I know our training was minimum. And we are requesting additional.
4: Hey, Bob, I think your connection might be cutting out.
0: Okay, so it looks like Bob might have just dropped off. So let me—I'm not a training person, but uh, I did stay at a Holiday and Express last night. So let me hit on the the rest of these bullets here. Maybe we can get Bob back up. Um, the flight keys, uh, like he talked about, basically <clears throat> um, there was a dispatcher issue with this. Requires as as much of the education and training we require. It requires a lot more so for the dispatchers. They had uh, a lot of concerns with this, and uh, so it's been paused until. Uh, they can get the training that that meets their um uh, what they feel that they need um both the training committee and the safety committee are hitting on the issues with requesting a check pilot for guatemala flying so the company is trying to pull that back um and we are continue to push back on it so here's the bottom line if you are going to guatemala and you have not been to guatemala you per the fom are entitled to a check pilot so request a check pilot uh Um, to to go with you. Um, And then the last one, and I don't have all the information on this, so um, I'm just going to kind of talk to the the bullets. But basically, anybody who has been through training in the recent past knows that right now. um... Hey, Chris, are you there? Oh, here we go. Hey, I got you back, Bob. Hey,
13: sorry about that. Um, Yeah. Uh, How much have you covered?
0: Um, We're down to the the schedule failure. So if you want to just kind of talk to the schedule failures and the the quick example with uh, Jeff Cashman?
13: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that uh, getting through training efficiently and out the door in a timely manner is an issue right now. If you haven't been touched by it or know somebody that's touched by it, I'd be absolutely surprised. Uh, We've been fielding a ton of phone calls about interrupted training and long sits. These long sits, have even been a contributing factor in some of the substandard performance reviews we've been involved in with the, uh, with the training department. So it's not only an inconvenience for our pilots, it's also jeopardizing their careers, uh, potentially. Uh, the example that you guys wanted us to share, uh, we had a debrief come in just recently from uh, Jeff Cashman that he's agreed to allow us to share uh, that kind of highlights the uh, inefficiency of the training department. He uh, he was coming back from long-term disability. Uh, he came back in June. He was being qualified in the full course, 787 course. The training began in July. Training wrapped up in September. Everything was going fine. And then while he's waiting for OE, on the September 11th, he was notified he hadn't completed all the required ground school. While he's waiting for OE, they called him to let him know that he had not received part of the required ground school. So he's sent back to ground school. Why he's in ground school, they give him an additional simulator session uh, to make up for the time that he had been sitting. And uh, by the time all was said and done, he wasn't scheduled to start OE till the end of September, beginning of October, um, almost five months after he returned to the company. And this is a program that probably should have taken no more than uh, two to two months at the most. Uh, That being said, this isn't a one-off. We're getting everything from that to, you know, an in-between. The the hard part for us in the committee is uh, we basically have two options for the pilots. It's either sit back and enjoy the time off, but that doesn't work for everybody. And, uh, you know, people have vacations, people have time off. So we try to help them and engage the company to uh, get them in in a timely manner. But What it comes down to uh, in the end is this is a um, issue that continues uh, to be a problem for our pilot group overall. Um, And like I said, it's probably about 50% of the calls that we received. All
0: right, thanks, Bob. Um... We're going to go on next to the Safety Committee, but before we do, Gemma uh, Meehan from STOP had a, had a good point, which was that the folks who are not uh, or who are listening on the telephone may not have, uh, well, they couldn't see the email address that's listed for the STOP. So if you'd like to get those passenger cards, that email is stop-chair at alliedpilots.org. Uh, next up, we have uh, the Safety Committee, Todd Wissing, Safety Chair. Todd, you're up.
12: Thanks, Chris. Uh- on the safety front, we've been very busy. Obviously, we always are busy. Um, kudos to everybody on the line who is uh, giving us feedback. Um, my overall message today is we, we need more. Um, we've been told by various entities that we need to show some data. So we'd like uh, to get more feedback. Observer reports are great uh, if it's not directly an ASAP uh, type of event. But having said that, the, um, the ASAP is set up for you to report safety concerns. So if you have a safety concern, use that ASAP system. It's uh, That's what it's there for. Remember that ASAP, FOQA, LOSA, Learning Improvement Team, they're all collaborative programs with the company. We're all look, pulling in the same direction for safety. Uh, but they are APA programs as well. And so um, uh, we'd like to instill confidence. You guys, uh, all, all the pilots need to have confidence in, in that. And uh, Speaking to the Czech airman position that um, that, that the uh, Czech pilot, uh, Guatemala City and mountainous terrain issue that was raised today by the training committee. uh, Yesterday, the Safety Culture Transition Ad Hoc Committee also referenced their concerns about mountainous terrain. For those of you who don't know, the Safety Culture Transition Ad Hoc was set up uh, by national leadership, both the national officers and the board of directors. Uh, so that we could focus on uh, critical areas that uh, the company uh, management seems to be pushing on, and uh, our pilots are reporting that they're they're dissatisfied with the positions, uh, the direction that we're going. And so this is an effort to put special focus on the safety culture. It's crucial to any safety management system. So uh, that's why the Safety Culture Transition Committee has been set up. Um, as far as the mountainous terrain is concerned, there uh, I'll, I'll speak to it, uh, their chairman's not available. But uh, basically it's, it's concerning. Um, we, we've been going into mountainous terrain and we've had a dedicated program of special qualification using check pilots on initial uh, trips to certain places like Guatemala City, for example. And um, we are concerned about uh, efforts to cut that out. Uh, we don't think that the... The subsequent uh, treatment of that environment is um, being taken in, in a manner that's consistent with the way APA looks at it anyway. So the safety culture transition ad hoc is seeking to, to uh, develop more discussion on that. Uh, so stay tuned with that. But we do need everyone who flies into mountainous terrain to give us some feedback on what they think about this. Uh, as far as the the uh, the rest of what we've been doing in safety, we've got our um, line operations uh, quality assurance uh, or uh, audit, uh, line operations safety audit team, LOSA, in town this week, uh, training some new folks, some new monitors. Um, I'll meet with them later. Uh, a great group of people, um, both the company and, and APA are involved with that, of course. And uh, as I said, these collaborative programs are very important to us. On the other hand, we also need to um, you know, take what our line pilots are telling us they're concerned about and address that with the company. So you can rest assured that we're doing that. Uh, the final thing I'll I'll say on flight keys is that that was paused. I did speak uh, with management t- yesterday about that. Um, the concerns were that the dispatchers were not getting uh, good enough training. I know Anne-Marie Tazar on training has also addressed that, and um, we're hoping that We can resolve that. Uh, I think that uh, also we've heard some from some line pilots about uh, Wi-Fi connectivity and their concerns that only a digital format is being presented, and if Wi-Fi is not available, it presents some some uh, issues. So we're seeking to address that as well. And that's all we've got, Chris.
0: All right. Thanks, Todd. All right. Last committee, negotiating committee. Um... I'm not entirely sure who is on at this point. Negotiating, you're up.
2: Hey, thanks a lot, Chris. It's uh, Tim Hamill and Greg Shaman here in the building, and Chris Walker is uh, remote from his home. Um, what we'd like to do is, I, I
3: see,
10: I see how you have Section 4C, C, um, um,
2: agreement, agreement and principle. principle, Cancellation Assignment Window, and Remain at the Airport issues. These are um, some of the items that were passed out to the membership this past week. And certainly, uh, we're, we know that we have a bunch of questions that you've um, given us and we've looked through and we're ready to go through those questions. So if we can just scroll through those questions, um, we can um, give a give the answers that the membership is looking for on on those specific questions.
0: Okay, first one, why did we go from a 1055 pay proposal to 1252 seems like we're just juggling the numbers and ending up with less?
14: All right, Chris, this is Greg Shaman on behalf of the Negotiating Committee. Thanks to the membership for tuning in. Um, The updated pay proposal from 1055 to 1252, it was done in coordination with the Board. The Board is who provides the Negotiating Committee the guidance and framework for the negotiations, and the change was designed to put more money in a pilot's pocket um, earlier in the contract. Uh, Additionally, um, since an agreement and potential ratification continues to be pushed further down the road, it was important to increase the initial pay rate increase and uh, as well as allow a snap-up provision to assist us down the road since united and delta for example still have not reached agreements and so though it is correct that a 1055 nets a larger overall number 20% you know compared to 19% the time it would take that 1055 to catch um, 12 uh, 5 and 2 um, it would take about 4 years okay
0: next I'm oh, sorry, they all popped up at once. What did our signing bonus go from $250 million now to $60 million?
14: All right, so it, it's important to note that that $250 million signing bonus, it was a company proposal and it was contingent on an agreement being ratified by October 1st. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, best case scenario, even if we were to reach an agreement tomorrow, due to the timeframes that are required in these you know, governing documents for ratification, a new agreement would not even go into effect until December 1st or possibly even January 1st at the earliest. Um, as the membership knows, negotiations related to the signing bonus and retro pay have been closely tied together during these negotiations. Um, and our current table position includes a higher retro, a higher retro pay along with the signing bonus. Um, so our proposals for retro pay and a signing bonus preserve the overall value um, had APA re- agreement which resulted in a ratified agreement effective october 1st all right
0: next is uh can you explain the details of our current snap-up provisions
14: sure as as the membership is aware and we've communicated many times there's still negotiations ongoing regarding the snap-up and we don't have an agreement on that Um, but the concept is that any snap-up would ensure that our Rates of pay um, would um, remain on parity with Delta or United if they were to surpass our pay rates over that two year duration of the proposed agreement.
0: Okay. And uh, the retro pay needs to be explained in more detail. Is it a percentage of your last six months gross pay or full six months back pay? All
14: right. So the APA RetroPay Proposal, it, it's for 12% of your W-2 earnings from April 1st through date of signing. And date of signing could be December 1st, January 1st. It's all dependent on when an agreement potentially happens and how long that ratification process takes. And retro pay it's also important that the membership understands RetroPay is also pensionable. Uh, so, for example, let's say a new agreement were to be ratified and effective December 1st a pilot would receive a, month, uh, a 12% retro payment for all earnings in April, May, June, July, August, September, October, and November, which um, totals eight months. So let's say your pay rate was $100 an hour, and the current proposal would increase that rate by 12% or to $112 an hour. Your retro pay will be the difference between the two for all pay received during the retro period, So in this example, the pilot's retro pay would be $12 multiplied by the hours paid during that retro period. And of course, it's all pensionable.
3: All right.
0: Next. The proposal is that pilots with over 25 years will get an extra week of vacation in the current contract language. There's an incremental annual increase that stops at 15 years with 31 days. Why is there no increase from 15 to 25 years, but then a huge jump at 25
14: years? Seems like this is targeted votes from those senior pilots. All right. So, APA's initial bargaining position is to move to 515 per vacation day. It's currently three hours and 40 minutes, as well as adjust the accrual rate for all longevity levels in the current table. Uh, This had been the subject of negotiations for months with absolutely zero movement from the company on these vacation issues. Um, The company was unwilling to increase the value of the vacation day, primarily citing two um, arguments, one of which was that increasing the accrual and the rate of the vacation day drives manpower, um, which requires more pilots, more training, um, as well as just the fact that the proposal was extremely expensive on top of that. Um, Then what happened is the United TA came out a handful of months ago, and then when that happened, AA increased the overall value of their previous contract proposal, and one of those items that they put on the table was an increase in vacation accrual for pilots with 25 years of service, which is a pay only event through 2024. And then it's biddable in 2025 for the 2025 and 2026 vacation year. Um, And even after the company made that change by uh, proposing the extra week for the 25 year seniority pilots, we did pass several more proposals, value increasing the value of all pilots,
0: Hey, Greg, your guys' connection is starting to be
14: choppy. All right, hold on. I'm going to switch mics. Is this any better?
0: Yeah, that's better. Thanks.
14: Okay. Do I need to go through that answer again, or are you going to go to the next question?
0: No, I'm trying to go to the next question. Hang on a sec.
14: There we go. All okay. right, the, the proposal... I'm sorry. Can you explain why we
0: are pursuing a year or two year contract, a contract which terminates with neither pay raises nor penalties to motivate the company to negotiate quickly at the end of two years?
14: All right. So, you know, the board provides the direction and they made the decision to keep the duration shorter and try to make significant improvements on um, key issues that were identified by the membership. Um, the more items that, you know, you throw into the mix or on the table the longer it historically takes to reach an overall agreement. That's just reflective of how things have typically worked in the past. Um, This proposed agreement includes three separate pay rate increases, including one at the amendable date, which is uncommon in previous pilot contracts. In addition, it's important to note that we also have that snap-up provision to ensure we do not lag our peers at Delta and United if we happen to go first and then they happen to come in after us and surpass our rates of pay. All right. Are we asking for the ability to float after round one? All right. So floating vacation has not changed from the current structure and it's limited to uh, round one. However, we did make some significant changes to the vacation bidding process, um, which have been highlighted in previous negotiating committee updates. So a pilot is now going to be able to bid for vacation in four separate rounds. There's not gonna be any more bidding in the blind. After each round of vacation bidding, the remaining rounds that are available for bidding will be made available and known to the pilot before you actually bid for that next round.
0: The negotiating committee is telling us we're getting 2 billion in gains. That's 133,000 per pilot. If you pull out the gains from section 12 and LTD, what is the real value that the rest of the pilot group is getting where the work rule and quality of life gains? I, I believe this might be one for Nick Silver from ENFA.
2: Yeah. Hey, Chris. Uh, Nick Silva. I was uh, uh, on a little earlier. Economic and financial analysis. So, me and my committee are focused on uh, performing the financial valuations on this contract. So, you're right. This is right up our, right up our lane here. Uh, so, yes, the current proposals are sitting around, or uh, just over two billion dollars in gains. Uh, that does include LTD, but it does not include the Section 12B improvements. Um, when we talk about the value of contractual gains, usually can divide it up into two buckets. There's the pay and compensation and the quality of life. Pay and compensation is a pretty clear definition. It's uh, basically your pay rates, uh, 401K, and the payroll taxes that you have to pay on your pay. And that makes up about 75 to 80% of the total pilot cost uh, to the company. So the value of our contract, just over three-quarters of that is in pay and compensation. Uh, when we talk about quality of life, Uh, In this case, quality of life means anything that's non-compensation that I didn't mention before. So it can include scheduling or work rule changes insofar as contract valuations go, but it also can include LTD improvements, changes to pay and credit scenarios, and those make up about 20% of the value of this deal in the same way that they make up about 20% of the value of the overall pilot contract. So um, there's two examples uh, that kind of lay out, you know, why it may not traditionally be exactly what pilots think of as quality of life, uh, but that we put in that bucket as far as valuation goes. The first one, uh, sorry, the, the goal, the first one is, um, this is just an example, the first is reassignment pay. So when we're asking for a 50% uh, premium to be paid on top of any reassigned flying, the goal here ultimately is to drive the company behavior away from unnecessarily reassigning pilots and therefore improving predictability for our pilots. And another example is uh, training pay. And the goal here is to provide more appropriate pay and credit to a pilot schedule, which would relieve line compression and provide pilots with either more opportunity to either be home or to pick up additional flying. So that's kind of how we think about work rule and quality of life or uh, pay and quality of life games. All
0: right. Thanks, Nick. Why are we stuck on 10 to 12% and not 20% plus?
14: All right, this is Greg Shaman again from the Negotiating Committee. So as mentioned previously, right, the the board provides us with the framework and the guidance for the negotiations. And it's important to understand that um, our current proposal would increase the overall value of the pilot contract by about 25%. The current value of our pilot contract is about $4.3 billion a year. what we have proposed on the table and what's already been agreed to um, would bring that total of about $5.4 billion, so about a $1.1 billion increase. And that excludes the cost of improvements to Section 12, which is the Czech airman piece. Um, unfortunately, AA has simply been unwilling to even consider a, a 20% type of pay rate increase for one main reason. Um, their fear that their costs are gonna get so far out in front of Delta and United and that Delta and United don't quickly follow suit and reach ratified agreements, which bring their costs either back in line or above ours. Um, So although we don't have 20% at data signing, the total value of what we have on the table puts us in that 20% range, albeit over a two year duration. And of course, these pay rates are still an open item at the bargaining table, unfortunately.
0: Next, how can the BOD and negotiating committee justify negotiating for a six-hour airport reserve?
14: All right. So it's important to note that neither our current contract nor the AIP for Section Four C, the draft AIP, the Q and As, have an airport reserve provision. Um, I think what this question is really asking is if being at the airport during the call.
8: Um,
14: is airport reserve. So today, today we have what's known as a cancellation notification window, a CNW. And that can be up to four hours post sign-in or one hour past the cancellation, whichever is greater. And then the pilot's responsible for any flying that the company may assign to them during that time. So today, a pilot um, may be assigned replacement flying during CNW, as well as multiple DOTC windows. Obviously, the longer your sequence length is originally and the earlier in your sequence that it cancels, you potentially could be subject to both of these scenarios today. And what this um, draft AIP for 4C does is it eliminates those multiple DOTC periods where AA can also assign replacement flying. It's either going to happen DOTC the day prior if your sequence canceled, you know, the day prior or earlier, or if it happens any time after the start of DOTC the day prior to your sequence, then the only time they can do it is during the CAW. There is no more multiple. DOTCs for the assign-in of a replacement flying. So, what we tried to do here is we try to address the concern that was voiced by the membership of being on the hook for multiple days of RO and creates a process where the company has one time only to assign replacement flying. So, the cancellation assignment window is going to replace what we now know as the CNW, the cancellation notification window. And if no replacement flying is assigned to you during that call, you're released, you have no further obligation, and you're pay protected for the sequence. Eliminating, you know, a potential requirement to be available for mul- multiple DOTCs for the assignment of replacement flying. Um, it's also important to note that th- the possibility that's being addressed here of being at the airport for a six-hour call can only occur in one situation and one situation only. And that's when um, your, your current live lag is canceled while you're on duty at the airport. So it does not apply if your cancellation happens to prior sign-in, while you're on a layover, or for a cancellation later in your sequence. It is only one singular time you potentially be sitting at the airport for that extended period of time, and that is when your current live leg is canceled if you are, in fact, on duty at the airport. Um, You know, a couple other things is membership needs to understand that... um, Changes in 4C were also done in conjunction with several other provisions in the 4C AIP. For example, um, we now have provisions that clearly spell out when the CAW would overlap scheduled duty. Um, This has been a thorn in the side of the contract administrators and the contract compliance committee for several years. They spend an inordinate amount of time on this issue as well as other 4C issues. And a lot of what we tried to do here in 4C was to address those concerns um, so that they're not a problem in the future for pilots or for the contract administrators and contract compliance. Um, we've also made a significant reduction in the replacement flying window for narrowbody pilots, which is now going to be the sequence footprint plus five hours instead of as late as 0159 the next calendar day, or plus 30 hours for flying to or from Hawaii and south of the equator. Today, any flying that's currently done by American Airlines pilots on narrow-body aircraft is going to be subject to that shorter five-hour footprint. So, for example, today, for all the guys that are based in Phoenix and L.A. and do that Hawaii flying and have been subject to that additional 30-hour RO, or for those of us in Dallas or Miami that sometimes have to fly deep south, south of the equator, or we also get plus 30, that's going away. It's going to be just five hours beyond your sequence footprint. So for today, for today, for example, let's say you're doing one of those Hawaii four-day trips, and you're supposed to get back to Phoenix at 6 o'clock in the morning. Well, today, they have you for RO all the way until 11 o'clock, or uh, actually until noon the following day. But going forward, they will only be able to give you RO up until 11 a.m. that current day. So that's a pretty significant change for those of you in the narrow body world. Also, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to one single timeframe to assign a pilot RO. It's either going to happen during DOTC or it's going to happen during the CAW, depending on when your cancellation actually occurred. Uh, once again, we have eliminated the multiple DOTC periods where AA can also assign replacement flying. Um, We have new provisions for self-repair for those pilots that have a full sequence cancellation prior to DOTC, the day prior to your sequence origination or earlier. And then also a new provision is company-provided hotels between RO sequences if you are assigned more than one RO sequence and um, you need a hotel. So the language was pushed uh, out in our update last week as well as the Q&A, the new Q&A. Please take the time to go through and read it. Um, You need to also compare that to what the current book provisions are and also understand that certain current book provisions that were agreed to still have yet to be programmed. If you guys have any questions after the 4C stuff, after you have the time to go through and read everything, please reach out to us, send us an email, give us a phone call. We'll be more than happy to answer those questions.
0: All right, last question. What is it going to take to scrap the targeted approach and negotiate an industry-leading contract?
14: all right well you know i'm not trying to beat a dead horse here but look the the board is the one that sets the guidance on all of this stuff on, on the path that we decide to take we we just try and follow that path and that framework and so for a little history the targeted approach was approved by the board in june of 2021 in order to help drive negotiations and capture some immediate gains as the industry emerged from the pandemic um, over the last year as we noted in our last update that we sent to you last week Bargaining has been significantly expanded from the targeted approach. So the the number of items negotiated during these negotiations goes well beyond uh, that targeted approach. Changes have been made to 13 of the 26 contractual sections, as well as many supplements in the contract. And all 21 draft AIPs have been reached. Uh, And, of course, negotiations are still going on regarding pay rates, retro pay, block sequences, and sequence length construction parameters. And as Nick Silva noted a little bit earlier, the current value of the agreed to and open proposals would result in uh, just over two billion in improvements over the two year duration of the contract and permanent gains annually of approximately 1.1 billion, which would be an increase of approximately 25% on the current value of our contract, which once again, it excludes the value in improvements to section 12 for the Chuck pilots.
0: All right. Thank you, Greg and Tim and the rest of the negotiating committee, as well as all of our uh, subject matter experts who are on. So um, that concludes the pre-submitted questions. Uh, I, I do see that there's some questions that are in the Q&A. Um, that's going to finish off the official portion of this. I'll leave the Zoom meeting open. We do have some uh, some board members and some SMEs who are answering questions in there if you guys want to keep at, uh, uh, asking those. But uh, otherwise, thank you for showing up. Thank you for submitting your questions and uh, everybody hope you have a good night.